I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, no progress. This is The Great Debate. Anniversaries are a heck of a thing, aren't they? A time for reflection, much like we do near the end of a year, as we are right now. A time to assess where you've been and where you're going, and sometimes they're an occasion to figure out if you've been wasting your whole life with foolish endeavors. The saucer world runs into this every time the year ends in seven, doesn't it? The whatever anniversary of Ken Arnold sightings, or if you're a Philistine who gets their UFO history from all the wrong places, the Roswell incident. Or if you're some kind of hipster who likes to be contrary, the Maury Island incident. Where have we been? What have we learned? Why don't more people care? This was the case in 1987, the 40th birthday of organized saucer thought. To commemorate it, the Paranet BBS, which we've discussed on a number of occasions, hosted a collection of writings they called The Great Debate, and that's what we're going to look at in this episode. Where did the UFO types think they stood 33 years ago? I'm not going to draw any comparisons to the present day, but I won't stop you if you want to. So, we're going to begin with the introduction to this debate, in which Jim Spicer, one of the coordinators of Paranet, lays out the ground rules. As you listen to the way this is going to run, I want you in your minds to imagine how this would or would not translate to present-day UFO culture. In April of 1986, I attended the 10th anniversary convention and banquet of the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, PSYCOP. There I sat next to a charming gentleman named Lucian Kemble, who told me, to my surprise, that he was a Franciscan monk. His skeptical attitude toward the paranormal stems from his desire not to see the true works of God and Christ get lost in a flurry of metamagical fluff and nonsense. As an accomplished stargazer, he views the beautifully integrated mechanics of the universe as the one true paranormal occurrence. In our correspondence, I raised with him my disagreement with Psychop's attitude on UFOs. Something is going on up there, I told him, and science is missing the boat. Rather than sneering at me condescendingly, as others have, he very politely and with genuine curiosity asked me my reasons for believing this. It was then that the idea of a public electronic debate on the subject occurred to me. The 40th anniversary of the traditional beginning of the UFO era presents an appropriate time frame for a reasoned, objective discussion of the UFO issue, especially whether UFOs represent a genuine opportunity to add significantly to our knowledge of the universe, or are simply a figment of the collective imagination. As Paranet is philosophically neutral territory, a sort of electronic Hyde Park of the paranormal, what better venue for such a discussion to take place? Here, therefore, begins the second Paranet debate, UFOs, 1987. After 40 years, have we got anything? I'll begin the debate with a brief article, which will be posted here and submitted to Father Kemble for his reply. Copies of the submissions will be sent to various others in the field, skeptics and believers alike, for their perusal and possible response. In addition, all Paranet users are invited to participate. The fruits of the debate will be stored in the Paranet library for reference by future generations of truth seekers. And now, let the debate begin. There's some interesting stuff here where Spicer really sort of shows his hand, and in a good way, mind. I'm not implying that he was being dishonest or anything. He thinks it's time for reasoned, objective discussion of the UFO issue, which really struck me because there's a bit of an implication there that 
there hadn't been any reasoned objective discussion up until 1987. There's there's an opportunity for a cheap shot there, but I'm not going to take it. Instead, what I'm going to observe is the fact that nuts and bolts serious ufology is, is often very like kids playing a game doing poorly and constantly demanding do-overs. The Condon Committee obviously wasn't reasoned or objective, nor was Blue Book, nor Sign, nor Grudge. No, if they were, they would have taken UFOs more seriously. Obviously. Didn't count. Do-over. To be fair, this sounds like a, a pretty civilized way of trying to hash out some ideas. Today, there'd just be a fight on Twitter. Now, 10 to 15 years ago, I can see this sort of thing happening as, as part of a, a blog. And some aspects are, I, I, let's say, firmly 20th century. And it wouldn't be the saucer life if I didn't highlight the ter- technological differences from the time. These are the specific instructions on how to participate. You can submit a response by typing it on an ASCII word processor and uploading it to Section 1, Ufology, or if it is less than 2,000 characters, simply post it to the message base. Non-users can simply send a typewritten submission of up to 3,000 words to Paranet, P.O. Box Mumble Mumble Something Something, Fountain Hills, Arizona, 85268. If you happen to have access to IBM formatted disks, you can submit them in that manner as well. That's just a little bit of fun. Less fun is the post Spicer made to kick off the great debate. It's titled Ufology, After 40 Years, Still No Respect. Let's take a look at this. On June 24th of this year, we will mark the 40th anniversary of the start of the present flying saucer era. No subject has captured the imagination or sparked so much controversy as the UFO phenomenon. It's been characterized as the silly season that wouldn't go away. Don't worry, I'm not going to be interrupting after every sentence, but this is something that's very interesting and a little bit frustrating. First off, he puts flying saucer in fake emphasis quotes, which you know is one of my irrational hatreds. Worse, I really don't like his use of the passive voice. It's been characterized. Who characterized it this way? I don't want to go all Wikipedia, but I think there's a giant citation needed tag there, especially since he puts silly season that wouldn't go away in quotation marks as though it's a direct quote from somebody in particular. Maybe this is a reference I'm not not getting, but just from the first three sentences, I'm sensing a touch of straw man arguing possibly in our future. Okay, let's keep going. More Spicer. And why hasn't it gone away? The debunkers tell us that such things run in cycles and UFO flaps or waves are merely the effects of the domino theory at work. A particularly well-publicized story in one section of the country, the theory goes, will cause starry-eyed true believers in other areas to suddenly delude themselves into believing, yeah, I seen it too. That, they tell us, is what happened in 1973 when over 1,200 cases were reported in the country, after a few sightings in the southeast were ballyhooed. Yet here we are in the year of the UFO, with three major books on the market, Shirley MacLaine preaching the gospel of Our Lady of the Pleiades, and a Japanese airliner serving French wine to gigantic flying walnuts. Where's the flap? In the first five months of 1987, the UFO Information Service has recorded only 27 sightings. Again, the vagueness of, of his evidence irks me a little bit. The debunkers tell us such things. Which ones? And I get the point he's trying to make about the argument that UFO flaps the result of well-publicized sightings causing people to report sightings, but I'm not sure you can really compare 1987 with 1973. I mean, it was only, I can't do math, but um, what, 14 years, Um, 14 years difference, but things had changed. It wasn't the same world. Um, And 
I'm not sure if just his one citation of that one UFO call-in hotline is uh, is the best point of comparison. And I really need to find out more about the Japanese airliner serving French wine to gigantic flying walnuts. The first time I read that sentence, I was concerned that Spicer was having some sort of neurological event that was causing some kind of aphasia to cause him to say things that didn't make any sense. What does he say next? Isn't it possible that the cyclical nature of UFOs is a characteristic of the phenomenon itself and not of our collective attunement? Such questions as this need to be addressed more honestly by those who tell us there's nothing new in our atmosphere. Explaining UFO sightings is one thing. Excessive, obsessive debunking is quite another. The rise of organized skepticism has raised negativism to a new art form. I call it the, the discount muffler theory of ufology because I'm reminded of the TV commercial where two chimpanzees are banging on a muffler to get it to fit on a car it was obviously not designed for. The debunkers constantly try to hammer the facts into place in order to, to get them to fit in a given situation. I absolutely agree that excessive obsessive debunking is is not great. However, his illustration of the discount muffler theory of ufology could just as easily apply to fervent UFO believers. The, the message of this new negativism is clear. Those of us interested in UFO research are nothing but childish, uneducated, anti-intellectual twits who should probably go home and watch reruns of Star Trek. To be truly intellectually chic these days, one must not let one's mind entertain such silly notions. While a few skeptics grudgingly acknowledge the scientific competence of some ufologists, the majority are characterized as unworthy of their letters, and those of us below the doctorate level are made to feel sympathy with the witches of Salem. I envision a near-future bumper sticker that says, Kill a Believer for Psychop. Given that ufology and mainstream science share a common ancestor, namely curiosity, the question must be asked. Is all this abject negativism truly in the best interest of science? Perhaps the debunkers are right, and there really is nothing new under the sun. How has it harmed anyone to wonder, to look further, to investigate? One gets the impression that the skeptics would prefer us all to pack up our Geiger counters, our VCRs, and our autographed copies of Communion and go home, never to whisper the phrase, UFOs are real. Okay, what if we complied? And what if we were right in the first place, but never found out? How great the lost science. If there's one thing that has constantly annoyed me and a little bit amazed me, but mostly annoyed me more than anything else within the UFO field since I've been paying attention to it, it's that there's this, this massive capacity for self-pity. And the persecution complex on display here is, is saying a lot more about the author than it is about the UFO phenomenon or, or skepticism. Nobody wants to kill UFO believers. Nobody cares that much about UFO believers, honestly, um, unless you happen to be, you know, the one who stumbles onto, you know, what they actually are and what's going on. And then they send the men in black after you, but then they just intimidate you a little bit. Nobody's going to kill you. Nobody's going to burn you at the stake. They're going to laugh at you. And maybe you think that's as bad, but it's really not. I firmly believe that UFOs are worthy of responsible investigation that some responsible investigation has occurred already and has turned up evidence worth a closer look. I also firmly believe that as long as a substantial number of questions such as these remain unanswered and a substantial number of ends remain loose, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, no matter how scientifically unlikely, remains too important to dismiss out of hand. And just how does he propose that this happens? And no matter how scientifically unlikely is an important phrase here, whether 
he wants to acknowledge it or not, a major study had taken place less than 20 years before with the Condon study in, at the University of Colorado. Without question, there were massive flaws in that project, and as has been well documented. But how exactly do you go about answering these unanswered questions and tying up these loose ends on the basis of his words, the unlikely possibility of the extraterrestrial hypothesis? How do you do that in a way that is recognizable to other scientists as science? Um, the, the idea that no matter how unlikely, we have to keep looking, keep looking, keep looking, as long as there's even a hint that something might be going on. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that's, in a practical sense, a road we want to go down. He has one last sentence for us. There, I've said it. Get the steak ready for another witch. Oh, settle down. Next up, we have an entry entitled No Longer a Time to Debate by a Ralph Toscano. My ignorance is showing, but I'm not entirely sure who Ralph Toscano is behind someone who posted regularly on the Paranet BBS. Given that he thinks it's no longer a time to debate, one wonders why he's bothering to engage in the debate. But no matter. Let's see what Ralph has to say. There exists the possibility that the UFO phenomenon is far stranger than we are led to believe. The UFO buff considers each case as authentic, and that the Space Brothers are here for our redemption. Then on the other hand, you have the hardcore skeptic. His major focus is to see that all the people who have a UFO experience are discredited at whatever cost. Last, and perhaps most important, you have the concerned investigators, who unfortunately are stuck between these warring factions, and sometimes being pushed into one of these camps without any consideration for his true expertise. That may be the most egregious oversimplification that I've seen in a long time. At least that's what I thought at first, but I think Ralph Toscano here is doing, actually, something interesting, whether he realizes it consciously or not. What he's doing is framing things so that everybody who is neither a contactee on the one hand, nor the president of the Phil Class fan club on the other, gets to be considered a concerned investigator with true expertise. Just part of the long history of people involved in UFO fandom being desperate to cast themselves in a role they aren't really qualified for. Reading books about what investigators have done does not make you an investigator. I feel that the strangeness of this phenomenon is not entirely centered around the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I think that for the most part, it has been the government of each country that has made this phenomenon so mysterious. If you go on the premise that the documents recovered through the FOIA are legitimate, then these materials speak for themselves. The U.S. government is obviously up to some clandestine operation designed to suppress or discredit any individual victim to a UFO experience. And the documents go much deeper. There are hints that the government actually has in its possession assorted space debris totally alien to planet Earth. Even if these documents prove to be bogus, and we have no reason to think they are, then we must turn to the many incidents in which irrefutable physical side effects are our best evidence. The whole phenomena is not going to go away. It has been around longer than the 40 years we acknowledge. There are many passages in the Bible which describe strange lights, or even vehicles that parallel the incidents that occur today. These occurrences continue throughout history. And this is typical UFO buff stuff, government cover-up stuff, and we need to be skeptical about whether the results of FOIA requests are legitimate, but anything that reinforces our viewpoint is totally worth just taking on trust, right? Looking at this paragraph uh, and the way it veers wildly from government documentation to parallels between the Bible and present-day UFO events, I have come to the conclusion that whoever Ralph Toscano is, he needed an editor. 
One last paragraph from Ralph. It is no longer a question of if there is something happening here, but more a question of what is happening here. Since we cannot rely on our military, or even our government for that matter, any information must come from other sources inside these communities. It is time for an operation such as Blue Peace to swing into action. Let's get the congressional hearings started now. All the skeptics will be needing a change of shorts when this happens. Since we can't trust the government or the military, we need to rely on information from people inside the government or the military. Um, And we need congressional hearings. Right. Uh, That's totally outside the government that we can't trust. Yeah. Congressional hearings, completely non-governmental. Solid plan, Ralph. No, I get what he's saying. We need to rely on anonymous whistleblowers that have no actual evidence, just claims that flatter our preconceptions. I find it interesting that about a year after the great debate, we have the emergence of Bill English and Bill Cooper on the scene, and this is about when Bob Lazar shows up. You can sort of see how people in the field were primed for this sort of thing. They're ready for you know people to sort of burst out from within the government that they can't totally trust. At least Ralph was. As for Blue Peace, we'll talk about that in the upcoming Saucer Afterlife episode because it isn't much, but it was too much to put in here. Um, And so I took it out and did something else with it. Next up is a Mr. Howard, no first name found, who was the former Western States Associate Director of Ground Saucer Watch, or as the introductory sentence to his submission calls it, the venerable Ground Saucer Watch. Howard mostly goes over the highs and lows of the phenomenon and its investigation over the previous 40 years, remembering reading the first newspaper articles about Arnold's sighting when he was a kid. He ends with this. I remember my interest as I read the newspaper account of the Arnold sighting and my immature speculation regarding the account. Man and boy, for 40 years, I followed the continuing UFO reports. I've been air crew and pilot, backyard astronomer and photographer, professionally involved in electronics and computers, yet the interest remains. I've been involved with organizations whose goal was the scientific investigation of the UFO phenomena, and I participated in a number of field investigations of purported UFO sightings with no slackening of interest. Truly, it's wax and waned with the seasons of my life occupying differing degrees of priority as those seasons have passed, yet the interest still remains. What is the explanation of this enigmatic UFO phenomena? For the unknowns, there is as yet no satisfactory scientific explanation. Do I believe in a phenomena global in nature, respecter of no person or intellect, seemingly oblivious to national boundaries, cares nothing for season or belief, and repeats in tantalizing ways? Sure. I believe that something as yet unexplained is happening in the skies over planet Earth, or in the minds of Earth people everywhere, and I would like to live long enough to see this mystery solved. I find nothing objectionable here, which is unusual for me today. I like Mr. Howard, and I think he has the best possible attitude towards this entire thing. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to meet this guy. So far, the people we've, we've looked at here, this is the guy I'd like to actually have a conversation with. And he writes like somebody who's actually trying to write something and not somebody who's writing something for posting on the internet. This is good. We get to the less good after our customary intermission. Next time, it's time for the Saucer Life Holiday Special. It's currently in production, uh, and I think you'll enjoy it. Well, I, I hope you enjoy it. Look, you may or may not enjoy it. 
You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show at Saucer Life. Uh, you can also support us through the link in the show notes. Thank you very much uh, for your contributions in the past. It's much appreciated. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life, or you can email us at thesaucerlife, all one word, at gmail.com. You can contact us by post at Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. The Saucer Life is, of course, available anywhere you find podcasts. Okay, we're back with our final entry on the pro-UFO side of the debate. The uh, the dang dirty debunkers come up next. Uh, this is from a Ted Markley, a frequent poster, and from what I've gathered, a sysop of a UFO BBS that wasn't Paranet. I have done my best to not correct grammatical errors just to give you the genuine Ted Markley experience. After 40 years, have we got anything? By God, if we don't, then somebody's blind. The works of Hopkins and Strieber alone should be enough to convince any normal, unprejudiced group of people. Non-human entities have been and still are taking U.S. citizens by force, disfiguring the bodies and inflicting psychological changes upon them. Had a black, Mexican, Puerto Rican, or any minority for that matter perpetrated what these aliens regularly get away with, there would be lynch mobs searching the hills with shotguns and bloodhounds looking for them. I've seen people convicted and put in prison by our legal system with less proof. Consider the following scenario, a typical abduction case, but the situation has been changed to reflect humans instead of aliens. My first thought when I initially read this was, what in the name of hell did I just read? My second was, Ted Markley, apparent aficionado of lynch mob behavior. Now to continue with this scenario and conclusions, uh, just a note, the parts that are in a slightly different tone are capitalized and in parentheses in the text copy. Um, I hope it makes sense. Joe is walking down a dark country road. Suddenly, bright headlights from a car, UFO, startle Joe. As the headlights creep nearer, Joe is paralyzed with fear. Then a strange, seedy, bald little midget, alien, grabs Joe and ties him up, puts him in a trance, so that he can't move any part of his body but his eyes. He's hauled, levitated, in the a silver customized van, saucer-shaped object, where he's terrorized, terrorized, and cut up with a knife, cut up with a sharp object. Joe is then carried, floated, back to where he was picked up and told to keep his mouth shut, made to forget through some unknown psychological process. Folks, that is called kidnapping and armed assault. The truly amazing part of the story surfaces when this pattern is repeated not once or twice or even three times, but hundreds. It is amusing and thought-provoking to speculate about their purpose. Makes good cocktail talk. But the facts remain. One, they come in the dark. Two, they incapacitate people in a way we don't understand. Three, people are taken against their will. Four, their bodies are often disfigured. Five, they cause people to lose their memory for which our science can't yet explain. Six, they conceal their presence. Not a very pretty picture. What is called for is an aggressive, proactive program to determine their purpose, communicate our dissatisfaction with their methods, if their purpose is innocent, and lastly, establish a method to stop, by force if necessary, their culturally unsatisfactory actions. Call me ethnocentric, but when they're here, they live by our rules. Ted, you're ethnocentric. There's not really much to engage with here. Markley is credulous and paranoid and may have anger management issues. I will say that it's possibly of interest that the first person Bill Cooper sent the Krill papers to when he saw them on the Paranet BBS was Ted Markley. That explains a lot. 
And that basically is the pro side of the debate. Now we'll look at the uh, the skeptical contributions to the discussion, starting up, uh, starting up, starting with Dale Ledoux, a member of Paranet Gamma in Louisiana. There were different Paranet, I think they were called nodes. I'm not sure, but different Paranet nodes: Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Gamma again, Sigma, Iota, Theta. Who knows? I never took Greek. Uh, he's in Louisiana. Too much of the euphobia smacks of efforts to ascribe near-godhood to extraterrestrials and to ascribe to government the time-worn idea that they, it's always the mysterious they, are trying to keep something good from us. I already feel that our country's security is too lax, and if these boys can't keep a secret about a recently developed piece of hardware like the F-19, I really don't think they can keep a secret about assorted sundry chunks of extraterrestrial hardware stored in some desert warehouse. Of course, these same aliens could also be trying to remain incognito, in which case they wouldn't want the publicity. If that were the case, though, I doubt they'd really be happy about this evidence in the hands of terrestrial authorities. I still contend they'd be able to do something about it. No, not a real Louisiana accent, but the best I could do to try to make these people all sound like somebody who's not me. I think a problem that we're going to have here with the skeptical side of the equation in this debate is that for the most part, the people who are contributing aren't the kind of horrifically outrageous, intellectually dishonest pseudo-skeptics that um, that it would really be more entertaining if uh, they were acting like that, wouldn't it? But we don't really see a lot of the only morons see flying saucers or, or only only people in trailer parks see flying saucers or only the uneducated see flying saucers. No, we've got some some good points uh, here that uh, that that get raised by people like Dale Ledoux. And I was trying to think of why that might be uh, that we don't see the kind of heavily scoffing skepticism. Um, well, Phil class is coming up, so we will get some heavily scoffing skepticism. But I think one of the reasons is, for the most part, these people who are taking part in this are willing to engage not only with the question of what UFOs may be, but are also willing to engage with people who have significantly different views on the subject, because they're all in the discussion on a paranormal themed forum. So it's not like, you know, they're going to, you know, universities and finding physicists and astronomers and getting their opinions on UFOs and UFO believers. As for uh, Ledoux's comments here, I, I kind of agree with, with some of it. If you look at this as a response to the last piece we saw or heard before the break, this sounds like a pretty accurate description of the kind of thinking one often saw in the UFO field at this time and times before and in times since and um, today, honestly. And now we have Father Lucian Kemble, a Franciscan friar from Alberta, Canada, and if you recall Spicer's introduction, one of the figures who inspired this debate in the first place. Kemble's contribution is by far the longest of all of them, but very valuable and clear thinking in the sense of some of the important distinctions that uh, he believes people need to make on both sides. For example, he discusses the importance of remembering what the word unidentified means. I've been asked very frequently, with your telescope and viewing of the heavens, have you ever seen any UFOs? Without being facetious, I usually reply, yeah, lots of them. Why, just the other day I saw an unidentified bird flying down the valley, and once I saw a tiny strange periodic flashing in the sky for which I had no explanation. I know what's behind such questions, the universal confusion over UFOs and flying saucers or extraterrestrial phenomena. 
It needs repeating ad nauseum that UFOs are, by definition, precisely unidentified, and therefore, even though they demand full examination, they ought not be, but usually are, identified via wishful thinking with an extraterrestrial phenomena, spaceship, alien visitations, etc. The whole piece is very good, and I urge you to check it out in the links that are in the show notes. One final bit from The Good Friar is this. In the UFO extraterrestrial phenomenon debate, then, it would seem that there are two extreme camps, the fervent believers with nothing to really back up their assertions, the scoffers who dismiss without any real reasons for doing so. In this, as in so many other areas of supposedly extraordinary phenomenon, one has to be open to full, unbiased research, sifting of facts, ridding oneself of bias one way or the other, and in general, trying to be as objective as possible. The notion of extreme believers on one side and extreme skeptics on the other is so common as to be almost axiomatic. What's interesting, I think, is that very few people really identify themselves as one of those two extremes, even when they are. As we've seen in numerous polls about political beliefs, for example, at least in the United States, most people see themselves as some kind of moderate, maybe leaning in one direction or the other, but holding on to an essential belief that they haven't gone off the deep end on either end of the spectrum. Of course, it's important to be as objective as possible, as Kemble prescribes, but it's difficult to have much self-awareness about this. It's very rare in ufology, or anywhere else, really, for somebody to just come out and say, I have absolutely no objectivity about this whatsoever, and I hope you accept my carefully reasoned conclusions. We all want to be objective. The problem is when people assume they're objective when they're not. Next up, oh boy... It's Phil Class. Speaking of people who assume their objective when they're not, uh, Phil Class, aviation journalist and scourge of the UFO scene in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, and maybe beyond. He died, I think. Uh, I stopped caring about him at some point. Phil Class's contribution is basically a direct rebuttal to uh, Spicer's piece, and it's worth just experiencing in full because. Regardless of, of whether or not you agree with all of his conclusions, he, he had a way with words, and, and he, was, um, he, was, he was fun. Kind of mean, but fun. Although I'm really much too busy working on my new book on UFO abductions and my assignments for Aviation Week and Space Technology magazine, I chanced to note your pernicious comment that you, quote, envision in the near future bumper stickers that say, kill a believer for Psychop. What a dreadfully inaccurate comment from one who has attended a PSYCOP conference where the believers are invited to present their views, in striking contrast to MUFON conferences. As for your lament, ufology, after 40 years, still no respect. The same lament has been voiced by the Flat Earth Society, by those who believe in ancient astronauts, in ghosts and poltergeists, and was earlier voiced by the late Sir Arthur Conan Doyle when organized science showed no interest in his photos and tales of fairies. The explanation is simple. The world's leading scientists are dum-dums, which explains why our scientific knowledge has not advanced one iota in the past 100 years. If world-renowned scientists fail to be impressed by the evidence that you and other ufologists find so impressive, then clearly it's they and not you who are at fault. And they would be more open-minded if it were not for the tiny handful of skeptics, such as Klaas, Schaefer, and Oberg. Why is it that Hynek, MacDonald, Maccabee, Sturrock, Westrom, Trutzi, etc., all with PhDs, were or are not able to overcome the negativism of a tiny handful of skeptics without such academic pedigrees. 
it never once occurs to UFO proponents like yourself that perhaps, perhaps, there is no UFO evidence that the world's great scientific minds find impressive, that it's only impressive to those who have an overwhelming desire to believe, to the credulous and gullible. But be of good cheer. At age 67, I don't have many more years ahead, and Schaefer and Oberg in time will pass. Then, with the three of us gone, at long last, the world's great scientists will see the light about UFOs. And for the first time, the cultists will be proven right, and the world's great scientific minds will admit they were wrong. Harsh. Harsh, but, uh, well, not entirely fair, but harsh. I'm not sure I entirely disagree with him, but not in the sense that he would probably like thinking about this. The thing is when he pushed so hard for UFOs being a physical thing that can be examined through science by scientists in a conventional way that you assume scientists use or, or do you open yourself up to the same kind of scrutiny. The scientists apply to everything else they do. Right. And I, I do like the way he deflates the idea that if it wasn't for the, the skeptics and scientists would just jump up and down with excitement at the notion of studying UFOs. But, you know, those, those, those nasty, noisy, nattering nabobs of negativity, you know, they, they get in the way and they just distract science from doing science because clearly UFOs are science. And I think that's where a lot of things fall apart is this notion that UFOs are science. Um, UFOs are magic. Everybody knows that. I'm kidding. Uh, for our final contributor to the UFO debate of 1987, the great UFO debate, it's John D. Alt, MUFON member and Paranet correspondent from the great state of Missouri. Altman's piece focuses generally on the nature of UFO investigation after 40 years, and of particular interest is the differing value placed on the evidence investigators have collected between those within the UFO investigation field itself and those in the more scientific fields. The UFO has left in 40 years a sizable number of eyewitnesses and some interesting but unconfirmed circumstantial evidence. All of it adds up to a case which can be very convincing of the reality of the UFO phenomenon, if not the UFO itself. The analogy has been used, with some validity, that if an attorney were preparing a case from comparable evidence, then they would be assured of winning their case. The evidence collected so far is convincing, and is enough so that the case for the reality of the UFO phenomenon would likely to be won. However, a number of things must be held in mind. First, even though the evidence for the validity of the phenomenon is convincing, none of it, to date, is convincing enough to support any theory that would explain the phenomenon. Second, although science and law work on similar rules, science differs in how it approaches problems, especially those which would challenge accepted concepts of the universe and how it works. And the reality of the UFO phenomenon and the implications of that reality offer too much that would defy a number of aspects of the current scientific model of the universe. While civilian UFO research has produced much in the way of eyewitness and circumstantial evidence, it has failed to produce the one thing needed to force scientific acceptance of the UFO phenomenon, hard evidence. The burden of proof in the UFO phenomenon today rests totally in the hands of civilian research. The problem, he explains, is the nature of UFO investigations and, to a large extent, the nature of UFO investigators. As the UFO phenomenon has changed, so has civilian investigation. Groups and individuals have come and gone with purposes as diverse as their claims. Some told of fabulous trips to Mars and beyond, while others spoke of all important messages from the aliens. Others sought personal gain and or attention. Many just wanted to find out what was going on. 
Although most major groups in existence today are of a more serious nature, the crackpot and those out for personal gain still exist. But even serious-minded research has faced many of the same problems through the years. Although many in the field present themselves as reputable investigators, they are anything but. Many show total disregard for even common-sense investigative procedure. One has to go no further than to scan the number of blatant oversights readily evident in many public reports, articles, and books put out by these investigators. Oft-times, known facts are ignored, leads aren't followed up, and viable explanations ignored so that a valid case can be built. Often, personal theories, reputations, and pride override the stated purpose of the investigator. Add to this the fact that infighting, feuds, and personal attacks are too often present. It's sad but true that the biggest stumbling block to civilian UFO research has been itself. Remember, he's a MUFON member saying this. He's not, he's not, you know, Phil Class's, I don't know, housekeeper, you know, chiming in to back up his boss with some skepticism. He's, you know, he's in, he's been in this field. The thing is, and maybe I'm being cynical here, is that what he refers to as major UFO groups that are of a more serious nature, and on the other hand, crackpots out for personal gain, the thing is, those two things are really part of a Venn diagram that has a huge overlap. I'm not going to make the cheap joke that it's a Venn diagram that's just a circle, but, you know, sometimes. It's also interesting to note that you could take his summary of civilian UFO investigation and say it about UFO investigation today, 70 years on from the dawn of the UFO era, and you wouldn't be too far off in a lot of cases, except for the fact that there's really only one major investigatory organization that's uh, that's out there, MUFON. And if you've been following MUFON over the last few years, you know that there's been you know several ructions going on of, uh, of various nature. And to say that some of the people involved are crackpots, um, you know, I, I think you could you could do that. I wouldn't say that. I'd use other words that I won't hear. But um, yeah, n- not a lot has changed in some cases. So what needs to be done? UFO investigation has to become more reliable. Infighting must come to an end, and those seeking only to feather their own nest must be ousted from the ranks of reputable investigators. The carelessness of the past and present only plays into the hands of debunkers who wish to portray the civilian UFO effort as an attempt to mislead the American public. Civilian UFO investigation has gained the level of respect it has due to the efforts of APRO, NICAP, MUFON, CAUSE, and many reputable individuals who gave and are giving many hours of work to the purpose of proving the case for the phenomenon. My biggest issue with this is that I'm, I'd like to see some citations about who has given respect to civilian UFO investigations. He says they've gained a level of respect from whom? What evidence of this respect is there? Didn't Jim Spicer, to kick this thing off, say that after 40 years, there's still no respect? So not only are we arguing about investigations and UFOs, we're arguing about the level of respect that uh, that exists. So that's the debate. And I think it's it's pretty interesting. And, and like we we sort of pointed out before, the the sort of hardcore scoffing skepticism really is kind of absent from this, except for uh, except for full class. It's not so much that most of the skeptics on the the skeptical side of the debate are saying UFOs don't exist. They're saying there's a burden of proof that the pro UFO people have not met, and despite all the evidence that exists it doesn't really lead us necessarily to a proven conclusion about what they are or what it all means. 
And again, I, I think when you present these things as as a scientific endeavor, you're you're setting yourself self uh, <laughs> can't talk. You're setting yourself up for needing to meet a level of evidence and proof that given the nature of the phenomenon is very difficult to do. It's it's like trying to eat cereal with a pair of scissors. It's I mean, you can do it, but it's going to hurt and there's probably a better way. Thanks for listening. Links to the full versions of the debate contributions are listed in the show notes. One caveat, uh, the file extension used is .dbt for debate, right? Remember when file extensions didn't necessarily have to mean anything because it was all just text? Basically, your browser may or may not know what to do with these. I had no issue using Chrome, but your mileage may vary. The associate producer of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC. Chizo Media, working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies because the skies are watching you.